It's, uh, it's me again. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to continue our series in the seven I am statements uh, in the gospel of John. And so maybe for some of you, that's, that's kind of a new thing. Like there's, there's seven of them. Yes, there is seven of them. And I don't think uh, that was by my random accident. Um, and, and really, we've been looking at these statements of Jesus. And I've, I've said a couple times now that if I was going to take someone to um, the heart of what Christianity is or the heart of who Jesus is and what he's come to do is I would go to these seven I am statements because I think they give a very interesting perspective on who God is. Uh, and, and maybe blows out of the water what Jesus has really come uh, to do, because I think he's come to do way more than we give him credit uh, to. And so we, we've looked at, you know, Jesus being the bread of life, that there is something greater than just the, the mere physical, that we have these deeper thirsts that we have in our lives and, and we need uh, hope and we need salvation and forgiveness. And, and, you know, talks about being the light of the world, that we all live in this dark world and we need a path for someone to guide us and to show us where truth is, is found. And, and talks about being the gate and, and the good shepherd, the one who leads us across uh, those, those waters of life and, and suffering who actually we talked a lot about last week uh, what a shepherd and a and a sheep that relationship and how close it is and how intimate it is and yet Jesus as a metaphor says I am that for you like I put you on my shoulders and carry you uh, to safety which is is pretty amazing this God is is a personal God who invites us into relationship um, with him and, and so this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter uh, 14 in another uh, uh, famous passage, I, I would say last week was probably the most personal of the I am statements. And I would say this one's probably the most controversial, and I don't think it needs to be, but it just has become that, um, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and, and I think it's controversial because we've used it as kind of an apologetic text to say who's in and who's out. But I think there's way more going on in this text that um, it's a very practical text. We'll get into that in just a moment. Um, but we're going to read John chapter 4, uh, 1 to 1 through uh, verse 11. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 4, or 4, I keep saying 4, 14, uh, page 901 in your chair Bible. If you need a Bible, it should be on the screen too. John 14, 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I I just love that. that. Isn't that just amazing? He's just like... This is the way. And they're like, no, we don't know the way, Jesus. Anyway, it gives me great hope. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and will you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so this is the the word of God for us uh, this morning. And, and, and what I, I love, and I, I said it's a controversial text because I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? That just sounds you know, so inclusive, right? It's like Jesus is the only way. I mean, there's Muhammad and there's uh, Mormonism and there's all kinds of philosophies. And I mean, he just seems like that's just a very narrow view of reality, Jesus. 
But if we kind of pull back and look from kind of a 30,000-foot scope, what you should do in the scriptures is don't take just one verse and take it out of context and put it up on a you know, mug or put it on a T-shirt because that usually goes bad. That's why you usually have like a giving thing and it has like one half of an Old Testament prophetic thing and God wants us to open the store gates and do all this, but we don't read it in context, right? And so this is one of those verses when we read it in context, it's an extremely practical, helpful verse. And here's why. Because notice what verse 1 says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then go to verse uh, 27. I didn't read it, but go to verse 27 in the same uh, chapter Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So th- this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is in the context of a troubled heart. Now, now why are the disciples' hearts troubled? Because in Jesus' ministry, what he's been saying time and time again is, hey guys, I know this is great. We've been traveling around, doing a lot of ministry. We've been healing people, teaching about the kingdom of God, but I have to go away. I have to go to the cross. I have to die. I have to be resurrected from the dead. But I also have to go away, and it's good that I go away, especially John's gospel makes it very clear on this, these sections 14, 15, 16 about the Holy Spirit is, I have to go away because I need to give you the Holy Spirit, another helper that is coming. And it's good. He actually says, it's good that I go away. So if you're walking with the Son of God, the Messiah, the creator, the redeemer of the universe, and he keeps saying, hey guys, I know this is great, but I gotta go away. I think I'd have a troubled heart. Like, wait a minute. You're gonna abandon us? You're gonna leave us? What are we supposed to do after you you go away? I know you don't fully understand, but it's good that I go away. If you see the whole picture, you see the whole mission, there's a cross and there's resurrection and there's the Holy Spirit that's going to come to you and it's good that I go away. And so the context of I am the way, the truth, and the life is in the context of a troubled heart. When people leave us, right, it's, it's just really painful, right? A friend, a family member, someone moves away. One of the things I hate, this is what I hate being about pastors, when people leave. Not the people that are angry at me and cussing at me. You can go, that's fine. Um, but, but the people that, that go because they've been, you know, job transfer or they're, you know, they're, they're going to go take care of a sick one or whatever. Like, those are the hardest things in the world, aren't they? You, you feel like you've lost something. Like, a part of you is gone, right? Maybe you've lost a loved one. And so in that context, here's the disciples going, we have troubled hearts, Jesus. We don't know what we're supposed to do. They're full of anxiety and worry, and I don't even get what, I'm not even fully, I mean, you see it with Philip, you see it with, you know, Peter, you see it, I mean, Peter just denied Jesus. Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me, by the way, and he's like, no way. But what are we supposed to do? So what do you and I do when we have a troubled, anxious heart? It could be over a million things, right? It could be just job, it could be relationship, it could be doubt, it could be fear, it could be whatever. And so I want to read that this verse in this chapter in the context of its context, because I think that's what it's trying to do. In John's gospel, which I I always, um, we preached through John's gospel years ago. Some of you were here, some of you weren't, but um, I, I love when books of the Bible tell you why they were written. 
Like most of them aren't that clear, but John's gospel is very clear. In John chapter 20, he says, here's the purpose of the book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John 14 is written so that you would have life in his name, that you would have the abundant life that he talked about in John 10, 10. That, that, that you would begin to believe and realize that we're all going to have troubled hearts on different levels for all of eternity until we meet Jesus face to face. But until that time, he's given us great truth to walk in and to understand so that we can walk just as the disciples did, that even when Jesus is leaving them, we can keep going on. Okay, so the context. What do we do when we have troubled hearts? Well, I've already read verse 1 and verse 11, but notice what he says right out of the gate. Let like our hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 11, believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the counts of the works um, themselves. And so, so really the, the context of this, when I have a troubled heart, an anxious heart, whatever it is, is belief. It's trust, right? I, I don't even like belief in some ways because I think belief a lot of times is just kind of an assent to a bunch of facts, which is fine. But in the Greek, this idea of belief, always this pistoa word has more of a trust element to it. It's a, it's a relational word. It's, it's not just signing off on some doctrinal statements and, and a statement of faith, which is important, but it's to say, I trust and I believe in a person. Because Jesus just said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has put on flesh, and his name is Jesus. And so if you want to know what truth is, you want to know what reality is, we look to Jesus. Not just what Jesus did, but who Jesus is. And so, so this idea of trust and belief is where it all begins. That he's telling his disciples, he's saying, hey, I know i got to go away, and I know I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I know things are really confusing right now, but just trust me and believe me that I am who I say I am. But I'm not pulling a fast one on you. Jesus doesn't pull fast ones on people. Like, like I find it interesting, like the unbelieving world, and maybe you're in this room, and I hope you're here. And just this idea that, that like Jesus and God are out to just kind of pull a fast one on us. Like, like he doesn't want to be known. He, he just wants to make things really, really confusing and really, really complicated. But actually, it's very much the opposite. That Jesus constantly says, seek me, you'll find me. Like, I'm not trying to pull a fast one. I'm trying to be as clear as I, I can. It doesn't always make sense, but that's what faith is, right? I mean, faith in anything, whether you're a believer or not. It's faith that my chair won't explode when I sit in it and break and, and break my back, right? We have faith every day that, that I'm going to wake up and have breath, that I, my job's going to be there tomorrow, or I put my faith in this, and, and this is what makes me a good person. We all have different faith systems. And so the context of the anxious heart is always, you need to trust in me. Trust the person who says he is who he says he is, that he's not pulling a fast one on us. And I think it's interesting because right before that, Peter has, has if you look in verse uh, 36, in, verse th- in chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will, and, and this is, just don't say things to God that you just can't keep because this is where Peter goes, goes south. <laughs> I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, no. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. But, but that's all of us, isn't it? 
No, I don't trust you the way I should. I don't believe in you the way I should. But Jesus does something so that we can even believe in the first place, that he's the one who comes to us. He's the one that says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I'm, he's the one that's already, he's come down from heaven and put on flesh. I'm going to take you where you need to be. That's what's so amazing about the gospel and about Christianity. It's not like anything else. Nobody comes to us. Everyone says, come to me, come to me, say these prayers, do these rituals, right? Believe these things. But Jesus comes down and says, I'm going to take you where you need to go because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And don't make promises that you can't keep. I'm the only one that can keep those promises, Peter. So it's in the context of belief. It's in a context of relationship. It's in a context of, of trust. But what do we do when our heart is troubled? Well, I think the first thing is we need to go to this promise that Jesus gives us. And it's a promise of security. And this is kind of a mouthful, but it's a promise of security in a place and with a person. Place and person. Okay, just think of that. Interesting what Jesus says. Okay, They're, they got trouble hearts. We're, we're leaving. We're not sure what you're doing. We're a little confused on the mission. I don't know what's going on. But notice what he says in verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Fantastic verse. And yet a verse that just gets, you know, we just think of mansions and we think of houses and things like that. But there is something about a security of a place, right? That Jesus says, there's a place where I'm going to, I'm preparing for you and that you're going to be eventually because you believe in me. My father has many rooms, right? So there's an abundance with God. There's nothing, his grace doesn't run dry. It's not like, well, there's, I have a little bit, I have a few spots. It's like, no, I have all these rooms that if you believe in me, it's yours. You're in, right? But there is something about a security of a place, isn't there? I think of the refugee that, that's looking for, for home. Right, that, that when, when you when you're removed from your home or what's familiar, there just feels this this kind of you know disconnection of reality. Right, you think of Israel in the Old Testament. I mean, they, they leave Jerusalem, this safety, this place they knew well, the place they worshipped, the place they lived. Right, and, and they're wandering through the desert among people they don't really understand and don't really understand their culture. Right, it just it's very disconnecting. It's, it it, it, it kind of makes your reality kind of go oh. I think it's interesting that um, those of you, I know a lot of you, you know, travel for work and things. And I, I love to travel, but the problem is, isn't it interesting? You kind of hit that point where you're like, I just want to be, be home. I just want to be in my own bed, right? For, for a variety of reasons. Because, you know, maybe the, you know, holiday in, the bed's a little itchy, you know? And I usually don't sleep for three days in the first three days, and then you finally learn how to sleep in the hotel room, and then you got to go home, Right? But there's this longing for home. There's this, this longing of stability, security. Like there's, there's got to be a place in the universe where I can be secure. And so what Jesus is offering, and he's saying when your heart is anxious and when you don't know what's going on and you don't know how things are going to turn out, is that there's an actual place that's already set up for you and it's the best Airbnb you've ever seen. And I'm the one going ahead before you. I've prepared that place you but but don't miss this because the place isn't enough like like a lot of people want to go to heaven but they don't want jesus to be there right i always ask people that non-believing friends oh yeah i think i should go to heaven well why i I don't know i mean i i I don't i didn't kill anybody i'm kind of a good person i mean i recycle i mean i do drive a prius so i mean if god's gonna let me in right 
I try to be generous. But, but then I ask the question, but, but here's the problem. Like, yeah, maybe you want to be reunited with loved ones, and that's great. Praise God for that. But the problem is Jesus is going to be there. And you don't love Jesus. It's going to be really awkward. Because that's what heaven is. It's where Jesus rules. It's where his presence, his, his, this relationship. He's saying, I'm giving you a place, but I'm also giving you a person myself. And I will go and prepare a place for you, verse 3. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So it's not just a new heavens and a new earth where there'll, there'll be a room for us and there'll be things to do. We can rule and reign with God and, and there'll be all kinds of cool things, but God himself will be there. Where in the universe d- does anyone say, hey, I got a place that's secure for you and I have a person that's never going to leave you or forsake you and be with you always? That doesn't exist on this side of heaven, does it? We can't guarantee that our spouse will be there tomorrow. They may die. They may leave us. Our best friends, our kids, right? There's nothing in this life that's, that's guaranteed, right? Um, try not to cry, but... Um, my, my dad's in bad shape. Um, just got word yesterday that he might have had a stroke. And he was perfectly fine the day before. Right? And, and so there's nothing guaranteed. But here's Jesus with our anxious, worried hearts and says, I have a place for you and I'm with you. And no one can take that away. No one can take that away from you. Now, we're going to get, because a lot of this is going to feel like, oh, yeah, that's nice, that's all in the future, but what about now? We'll, we'll get to that. Just hang with me. There's a reason why the scriptures do this. But there's also, I think, secondly, a promise of a fully paid and accessible room, okay? Um, Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, but, but, but I always wonder, like, 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 if he was to look at my room and my life and just go, that, that room is just a mess. I mean, there's like, you know... a plate of Cheetos and, and just like old food and, and drink and, and, and my life's a mess and, and the room's a mess and it's like, well, what kind of, I mean, is he going to even accept me? I mean, why would he, does he like have to go and do a bunch of work beforehand? I mean, it just seems like th- this seems incompatible. You know, one of the things where my wife and I, we, we have some cousins that are actually going on the mission field and, and we wanted to hang out with them before they go because we might not see them for a few years and um, we were trying to get an Airbnb and uh, like a house just to kind of rent and be together on this little lake. And, and, uh, and it's funny because when you get an Airbnb, if you've ever done this, it's like, it's, it's like lockdown, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen. I mean, there's contracts and there's, you know, uh, keys that you have to find, you know, lock boxes and there's, you know, scanning of retinas and your firstborn and all this kind of stuff. And like, I mean, just very, it's very, very, very much lockdown. And yet Jesus, the rooms that he prepares for us is full of grace and they're fully accessible because he's the one preparing the room. That we can't prepare it for ourselves. That yeah, we have made a mess of our lives and we have made a mess of our rooms. And, and, and one of the things that I, I just found very encouraging this morning was I was thinking about not just this, this room that Jesus has prepared for us, that he's going to be there with us, but also in Matthew chapter 25, if, if you remember this text, again, a little piece of the text I think gets overshadowed by the other great part of the text, but, but in the final judgment, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 33. He says this, it gets even better. 
And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, so when was the room prepared? When you said yes to Jesus? Uh-uh. In 1983, when you said yes to Jesus, or 96, or... Maybe you just grew up in the church and you've always kind of said yes to Jesus. Like, is that when it happened? No. It was before the foundation of the world, Jesus had a place for you. So what does that mean? Why, do I, why am I saying, talking about all this accessibility and grace and all this stuff? Because guess what? Your room's a mess. And before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew it would be a mess. and knew you'd be a mess. And yet, yet while we were sinners, Jesus Christ, Romans says, died for us to bring us to this place, to bring us to that, that room, that room we don't observe. And there's no lockbox. Because what Jesus did through the cross was he destroyed the lockbox and said, here's the key, fully paid, debts paid, yours, it is finished. You don't have to go online to go to Airbnb. You don't have to give away your firstborn, right? You don't have to do a sacrifice or do a ritual. This, this room is fully accessible. It's yours by grace because before the foundations of the world, I was gathering a people to my name. Paul says the exact same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, doesn't he? So say, yes, pastor, he does. Of course he does. Ephesians 3, right? You have that in your mind right now, right? Just like, yeah, he's going to go to Ephesians 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with Christ and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why do I say all this? Why does this heavy, deep theology matter? Because a lot of us walk around with the sense that I'm not acceptable before God because I sinned again. And it's not that God doesn't care about your sin, but he's also taking care of your sin. And before the foundation of the world, he says, I have some sons and my daughters I'm going to gather to myself. And the room's already ready and the lockbox is wide, broken wide open. The key's laying on the ground. Come on in, I'll be there with you. And it has nothing to do with your moral track record. It has nothing to do with your past. It actually has nothing to do with your future either. And in this room right now as I speak, again, we're a small little blip on the you know, reality of Kansas City and the world and human history. But just in this room alone, every one of you is a trophy of God's grace. Whether you grew up in the church or not. I mean, there's crazy stories in this room that sometimes I just go like, Really? Like, how are you a Christian? Only God could have done that. But before the foundation of the world, God was not hammered, or hammered. God, God was not hamstrung. You can interpret how you want. In the Greek, it says hammered. But the, he wasn't hamstring. He wasn't held back. He wasn't going, well, I just hope they get their lives together. Then maybe, just maybe, I'll have a room for them. But through the cross, there's forgiveness. And through the cross and resurrection of Christ, he says, I'm making a way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to fix up your room to come. And all the kids said, amen. Right? Isn't that, I mean, if you have kids, the biggest fight in our house is like cleaning your room. Right? And then their definition of what clean is. Yeah, I don't have time. But there, there's, some, there's some, some gospel in there. Right? It's like, I cleaned it. It's like, no, you stack things and push them into the closet. That's not cleaning. Right? Okay. 
We've got to work on that. So there's a promise of security, a place, and a person. There's a promise of a fully paid and accessible room. There's also a promise of a safe arrival, of safe arrival. If you go back to John 14, I love this. And again, I think this explodes the meaning of I am the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I find this so fascinating in the context of the questions that Philip is asking and the questions that Thomas is asking. In verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Philip says, you know, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for you. That, that Jesus is, is kind of, he, he's already saying, he's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to take you there. Like, like wh- whether you, you die or the second coming happens, I'm going to take you by the hand and make sure you get where you need to be because I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not a halfway arrangement. It's not you go a little and then figure it out and then I'll kind of come along and kind of coast you through. He says, no, no, I'm grabbing you by the hand and I'm going to take you to this place where my father has all these rooms and they're in the most beautiful rooms you've ever seen. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to make sure that you get there safe and sound. And remember in John's gospel, it's all in the context of the cross and the resurrection. Like That's what it's all pointing to. That the cross and the resurrection is to ensure that you get home safely, right? All the work that Jesus did for you is so that you get home safely. I, I just love, there's just so much freedom in that and so much joy in that because I think our whole lives are, are so built on, am I enough? Will I do enough? Am I going to make a difference? And yet Jesus comes along and grabs us by the hand and says, I'm going to make sure that whether you get cancer or you die at five or 105, is I'm going to make sure you get where you need to be. No one else says that. Right? No friend, no human relationship, no philosophy, no religion has anything even close to this. That I'm going to grab your hand and we're going to go and we're going to make it. And I'm doing it all for you. Because you couldn't do it in yourself. You're too weak, you're too sinful, you're too broken, you're too dumb. Right? I mean, that's what we talked about last week. I, I know that offends a lot of people, but that's the greatest news in the world. Just, to, just everyone just saying, I'm dumb. Like, sin makes you dumb. It just makes you dumb. Right? Like if you really broke down all the decisions you made just yesterday, you just go like, really? I'm a grown man. And I thought, a, you know, a huge bag of Cheetos before dinner would be a great idea. Right? I mean, just look at the decisions that we make, right? And, and, there, and there's just these things that we do and we just go like, really? Am I, did I really say that? Did I really think that? And it's like we talked last week. It's why Jesus comes to be our shepherd, because the sheep aren't that smart. And I, I'm not saying you're not intelligent people. I mean, some of you have PhDs in here. I mean, all kinds of smart. I'm not talking about just the IQ, but, but the daily living, the wisdom, the things that we do, the things we attach ourselves to. And yet Jesus comes along and ensures that we have a safe arrival. And, and coming back to heaven, I think this is an important text, verse 3, because it really shows what heaven is. And if I go and prepare a place to you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That heaven, at its core, at its definition, is Jesus. It's where he dwells. It's not just a new heavens and new earth with all kinds of cool stuff and, and you know, a garden city, which is great. The scriptures talk about that in Revelation. But it's God himself. That's what heaven is. I mean, it's always, always the arguments, well, yeah, who, you know, sh- why, why do not I get to get in? Well, it's like, you know, C.S. Lewis says, well, 
just wouldn't be that great for you. If you don't love God, your life, and don't want to know him and walk with him, well, it's going to be kind of weird in heaven. It's going to be really awkward. But he says, that's where I am. That's where I dwell, which leads right into the fourth promise. It's the promise of presence. It's the promise of presence. So, so, so here, here's, all these things are in the future, future, right? So when Jesus returns, right, there's this place for us, and, and there'll be no more sin and no more tears and, and no more suffering, right? Oh, praise God. But, but, but a lot of us think like, well, Ryan, that's just not, you said it was practical. Like, I have a, a worried heart, I have an anxious heart, a troubled heart over work tomorrow or my kids or sickness or my, my, my family or, or whatever it is. That doesn't seem very practical. Oh, but it is. As C.S. Lewis said, that those that are most heavenly-minded are the most earthly good. It's when we reverse that, we're not much good, actually. If we don't have a, a future hope, guess what? Our current reality, it's going to be very difficult, right? But like if we understand this is all future, it's very intentional. The Bible is always pointing us to the future hope and saying, hey, do you see what's coming? Before the foundation of the world, God redeemed. Before the foundation of the world, you were adopted as sons and daughters. That changes how I work. It changes how I see my wife, my kids, suffering, everything. How I live today is all about how I see the future. But if I have no hope in the future, guess what? It's going to fracture how I live today. And that's what the scriptures do, right? They're always pointing us to a greater reality to say, hey, Ryan, it's okay if your body starts breaking down. Yeah, it's going to stink, but there's going to come a day where we'll all be resurrected and yeah, yeah, that job loss, it's not fun in the moment, right? I need to provide for my family, of course. But, but I have to have these greater realities and say, i got a place for you, and i got God with you, and you're forgiven, and you have this hope, whether you have a great job or a terrible job. There's a greater reality that I'm walking in. And so the future hope always infuses into our present reality, and that's what the promise of presence is about. So, so Thomas and Philip are confused. Thomas says, verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you're going, even though he just said where he's going and how you can get there. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, you do know him and have seen him. Can, can I just say a little side note here? I can because I have the face mic. You don't have any control over that. Jesus in the New Testament is not doing PR for the God of the Old Testament. What do I mean by that? A lot of us think the God of the Old Testament is different than the Jesus of the New Testament. And so Jesus comes on the scene to say, hey, you know that God in the Old Testament all angry and killing everybody? Grace, grace, truth, truth, love, love, right? Sprinkling fairy dust on everybody and love dust on everybody. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. If you've seen God in the Old Testament, you've seen Jesus. If you've seen Jesus in the New Testament and human history, you've seen the Father. That's what he's saying to Thomas. That I'm right here. I'm that God, you're a good Jew who knows the Scriptures backwards and forward, the same God of the Old Testament. I'm standing right in front of you. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. We're the same person. Full of grace and full of truth and full of love. There's not a different God here. And yes, they are a little confused. But wait, wait. Guys, you've been with me the whole time. Do you understand? You, you've been looking for this Messiah, and I've been walking with you the entire time. 
If you want to know who God is and what he's like and what he's about and, and what he does and what he calls us to, just look at Jesus. J.I. Packer said that in, in Knowing God. He says, you know, if you really want to get to know God, go meditate on the Gospels. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and if you've seen the Father and you've seen the Son, it's who he is, it's what he does. Look what he does. Look how he loves. Look how he forgives. Look at the people he hangs around. Look at the hope that he gives us. Go, go look at that time and time again, and you'll see a different vision of the God that you have in your mind. Because sadly, and I'm part of the problem, is it's the followers who have made a mess of it. We've given you bad visions and bad pictures of who God is, right? By how we love or don't love. Or how we're gracious or not gracious. Or how we're condemning or not condemning, right? I mean, we're the ones who've made the mess. But by God's grace, we say, well, here's what we're called to. Here's what we're supposed to to be this, this promise of, of presence. So, so Thomas and Philip, they're, they're confused. How do we get there? Where, where do we go? Now, all of this promise is pointing to the, the promise. There's one more promise that Jesus was going to... And, and he kept saying in, the, in this chapter and other places, I need to go away. It's good that I go away. Why? Because I'm sending you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't read it this morning, but I'll, I'll read. If you jump down to 16 and 18... Same chapter. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. So another name for the Holy Spirit is Spirit of truth, helper, paraclete, advocate, all kinds of comforter, counselor, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come now, I imagine the disciples just had their brains just explode right there. Like, whoa. So, Jesus, our hearts are troubled, and you're saying you're leaving. But now you're saying you're coming back somehow, and you're going to be in us? Exactly. By the Holy Spirit. So, so it's good that I go away, because guess what? I'm bound in by time and space. I can only walk with you on the dirt, dusty roads of Palestine and be physically present with you. But if I go away and I go to the cross and I resurrect from the dead, I'm going to send you a helper, an advocate, someone, the spirit of truth to be with you, to live in you, that I will be with you always. And that's what all this was leading to. It's not just the future reality. Guess what the Holy Spirit does? It reminds us of the future, of what's coming. It's a deposit guarantee that Paul says. It's a down payment that lives in us to say, it's coming, Ryan, that Airbnb with Jesus that's so beautiful and so perfect. He's going to be there and you're going to be with there. There's going to be no more sin and no more tears and your God's going to be there and you're going to be with all of us together, ruling and reigning together. It's coming and Jesus is living in us to remind us of that every single day. I haven't left you the orphans. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I didn't go anywhere. I'm right here with you. But the problem with us, as Paul would say, is that we tend to quench the Spirit. Right? When we don't live in this trusting, loving relationship with God, we quench the Spirit by our anger. We quench the Spirit by our sin. We quench the Spirit by division in the church and the ways we don't love each other, right? So, so it's, not, it's not God's problem. He didn't go anywhere. I'm right here with you. I, fi- I find it interesting that Romans uh, chapter 8, which is the best chapter in the Bible, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 10, verse 9, 
It says, you who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of, how does Paul describe the Holy Spirit? Spirit of Christ. So who lives in you? Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. That should have gone over bigger. It does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, personal presence of Christ, spirit of truth. He's a helper. He's an advocate. He's not going to leave you as an orphan. So, so that when you are walking through that pain and you are walking through that anxiety of heart and that troubled spirit wondering, am I going to find a place to live? Am I going to be able to, to find hope here? Is the cancer ever going to go away? Is my dad going to be healed? How am I ever going to find a job? Whatever it is, Jesus says, I'm with you and I'm in you. And I haven't left you. Like, like do we understand that? Because that means you can go to God any time and any place. You don't have to be here to do that. Like We have special times of obviously we want to gather as a church. We're commanded to do that, and we should do that as a body collectively. But on your, your, in your work on Monday and parenting kids on Tuesday and at the hospital on Wednesday, Jesus is with you. The creator and redeemer of the universe is with you living in you. Like, like <laughs> what? Huh? And, and I think a lot of times when we make decisions is we're always worried, like, you know, we talked about the door a couple weeks ago. Like, if I pick door three, is my life just going to be a disaster? It, it could be. But I believe that when the Spirit of God lives in you, you don't have to worry about those things. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Stay close to Jesus. Don't worry about what decisions you make. I wouldn't. If you walk close to Jesus, don't, don't freak out of which door to choose. And he, he loves you. He's for you. He's for your good. And some of those doors are going to be suffering. It's going to be painful. It's going to suck. Can I say that in church? Maybe not. It's going to stink. And it's going to be painful, right? We've been down those doors. God, I don't understand how anything good is supposed to come through this. But I can tell you this. On the other side of suffering is great joy and great perspective and character and hope and salvation. All the things that the scriptures say are true have come true in my life. I don't welcome suffering. I don't lay awake at night and go, God, just give me more suffering. Give me more trials, please, so that I can be more like Jesus. And I don't think most of us do. But the scriptures say, consider it pure joy, my brother sister, when you, can, when you have trials of many kinds. Because in those trials, I'm at work. I'm working on that anxious, worried heart. And it always points us back to the one who, who died for us, the one who brought us all the way in, who did what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, as we, we land the plane this morning, I had this thought, um, you know, this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, it's fairly familiar, you know, it's, it's the, the, the quid, quid, uh, quintessential, whatever the word is, apologetic verse. So this is the way to Jesus, this is the way to God. Yes, and that's total true in every way. But do you know that the early Christians were actually called the way? 
You should know that. In Acts, cha- <laughs> Steve knew that. Um, in Acts chapter nine, verse two, it says they asked him for letters. And this is before Paul's converted the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But even Paul, before he was a Christian, knew that this group of ragtag people who were following the resurrected Christ were called the way. Very interesting. And then in, in chapter 19, verse 9, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. And so Paul, he's, he's, he's among non-believers, and, and they were the ones who gave them the name, that you are called the way. And here's why you're called the way, because you follow this Jesus that you know the only way to life and the only way to salvation is through this Jesus. And it's not just the way to heaven or, or the way of salvation, yes and amen, but it's also how they live their lives. The way of righteousness. The way of goodness, the way of hope, the way of joy, the way of forgiving their enemies, right? The, the early Christians were so phenomenal that they, they, they didn't just take care of their own, but they also took care of those that didn't believe. And there's something on them, something about them. It's because they lived with the Holy Spirit of God in them. They had, they had seen the, res, the resurrected of Christ. They, 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 they experienced that in their lives. And they were forever changed. So... The practicality of this text isn't just how do we get to God, as important as that is. But if we're already on the way with Jesus, is how do we live as the way? Do people see us as gracious and kind the way Jesus has been gracious and kind to us? Do we forgive as Jesus has forgiven us? Do we pray for our enemies, or do we just make more of them? Are we condemning and judgmental, or... Are we willing to listen to what someone has to say? Wouldn't it be really cool as if we were known as the way because we were so enthralled with Jesus that the world around us just said, yeah, that's, that's the weird way, people. They're, they're after it. This Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they're, they're getting after it. And, and I think we have a daily choice every day to, to choose which way are we going to follow. And this isn't, if you're already a believer, believe me, this is not like, oh, once you're in, like it's just easy going, right? No temptation anymore. Good thing that's gone, right? No more sin to struggle with. No more, you know, whatever. Now that's gone. No. Every day it's which way are we going to choose? The way, the truth, and the life of Jesus or another way? Jesus hints at this in, in John chapter 7, verse 13. Um, or not John, sorry, Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few can't sugarcoat the way of Jesus being easy because it says it's not. The way of the world's easy, right? Just do what you want, live how you want, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Think about yourself, it's about you, you, you. But, but the way of Jesus is narrow, right? And so, but every day, right, we're tempted to go the, the broad gate, the wide way, to say, this is easier, I, I'd rather just go down this, right? But to say, but the narrow gate, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, is where life is found. And where true joy is found. This can't give us what we think it can give us. And most of us know that from experience. 
But it's a daily deciding, laying up, taking up my cross daily and saying, which way am I going to follow today? And so, to make it really, really practical, I know many of us, if you're like me, you come in with an anxious, troubled heart on some way, shape, or form. But could we just lay that down before God, before we take the Lord's Supper together? And, and the ways, and maybe there's this way that's just so grabbing onto me, and it's, it's not the way of Christ, but it's just like it's just got its fangs in me. And we would just lay those things down and say, God, just help me. I know your way is difficult. It's not easy. But I know that's where life is found. I know that's where hope is found. Because you went before me before the foundations of the world, and you prepared a place for me. And you unlocked the key by the cross. It said, Come going to be amazing. Come, come all. Come all who are thirsty. Come all who are beat up. It's free. So let's, let's just pray quietly, and then I'll, I'll pray, and we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper. Every day is a temptation to go down the wide road, the easy road, but the road that leads to destruction, the road that doesn't lead to life, it doesn't lead to you. And I wish I was immune to that. I wish 23 years walking with you that it wouldn't be so hard every day to have to make that decision. But I'm reminded this morning that your Holy Spirit is with us. And that you don't want to leave us as orphans. You want us to go and find truth and hope and peace in you. Find joy in you. So God, help us be a church that can be honest about those things. We all have struggles. We all have anxious hearts and troubled hearts on many, many levels. But to know we can lay those things down before you because you've prepared a place for us. And you've gone before us. That you are the way, the truth. Help us believe that. Help us walk in that. Help us not not just to be good ideas, but realities that get deep into our bones and our souls and our hearts that change us. How we see the the world and how we see each other and how we live. So help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week we have the the privilege of seeing a, a practical, physical demonstration of the grace and mercies of God in Christ Jesus through the Lord's Supper. The bread represent his broken body. The cup representing his shed blood that atones for all of our sins. The, the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That anyone who comes to me can have eternal life. That it's not about fixing ourselves up. It's not about jumping through hoops. But it's about trust like a child. That if you have trust like a child in this Messiah, this Jesus, you, you can come and celebrate with us. Um, and, and if you're not a believer in Christ, uh, we just ask you to stay seated. But we do have some prayers uh, in, the, in the prayer uh, guide that, or in the city life that we'd love for you to think on, reflect on. If you're not a believer, we want to talk to you about the way, the truth, and the life. We believe he's the only hope we have. Um, and we've all been there. So please come talk to me or talk to one of us. We'd love to share more uh, with you. Uh, the way we take communion, we just have two uh, groups, uh, two servers up in front. Break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. If you have any kind of allergies of any kind, there's some gluten-free, nut-free. Um, it's not really bread. It's just some kind of thing. 
Um, feel free to, to take that. Um, it won't poison you, I promise. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.